You know, we've all worked with someone for someone who literally day in, day out, you get so much more from them uh, than perhaps they're getting from you. And our guest today, Eric Watson, he was the head of diversity uh, when I was both an AD and the head of HR at Foodline. And uh, I'll tell you, I learned so much from Eric and he shifted our organization uh, in a way that uh, it wouldn't have been the same had he not been there. So you're in for a treat today because you're going to be able to sample some of his wisdom. I told him that he's he's a seasoned expert and he didn't really like that reference to perhaps age, but he is. He's steeped in knowledge and he's gonna share that all with us today. You will notice Joyce is in here. She had an issue. Uh, she's in Mexico and had connection issues and time issues. So she's not with us. So uh, it would have been better had she been there, but Eric uh, pretty much ran the show. So let's get started. <laughs> Morning, Eric. How are you? I'm doing great, Bob. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. I, I, uh, uh, Joyce and I, when we do our podcast, we usually have some kind of laughing at the beginning. Uh, and so I'm glad that we kind of started out with uh, a little bit of a laugh. Uh, <laughs> well, it's, it's just good. Good to see you. Good to be with you again. As uh, I was thinking about this conversation just a lot of fond memories of the work we did together. And, and just to be totally honest, I've been excited about having this conversation and getting the opportunity to chat with you and Joyce. Well, great, super. And Joyce hopefully will be joining us, but let's let's get started. So um, what I'd like to start is having you kind of give us a sense of the arc of your work in diversity. So if you were to go back when you began your career in diversity, Kind of tell me what was going on then. What were the the issues? What were the the processes? And then you know, fast forward. I don't want to give your age up. How is it different than it is today? So, kind of tell us what it was like back in the beginning. Well, I'm going to digress to your chuckling as we get started because as <laughs> I got your note, uh, you you called me a seasoned veteran in the space, and a seasoned to me usually means it. You're old, but also I think about, uh, I've been cooking in my old age. Uh, a good marinade and seasoned steak always is better the next day. So <laughs> I think that's where I am in this place. I'm getting better. And, and if you think about, Bob, back when you and I and Joyce started this work, you know, it started as a result of affirmative action. Yeah. And it was just diversity. It was just D. And at that point, it was basically beginning to talk about this work was beyond race and gender. And then we moved to diversity and inclusion. And then the inclusion piece had to do with, you know, one, there's one thing about the numbers. There's another thing about feeling included. And, and I give people the analogy around, you know, there's, there's this whole aspect of having a new car. But if that is a clunker, I mean, it doesn't, no matter how good it looks, if it doesn't run well, you're never really thinking about having a great car. You're thinking about, is this thing going to cut off on me? And if you have an older car that you like and love and is running well, that's the inclusion. You feel good about driving it. It looks good and you feel good. So I think we got to that inclusion space by finding out numbers, you know, our numbers, behavior is much more important. And I think the equity piece that has emerged probably in the last 10, maybe five years, more so with George Floyd, 
really got to some of the work that we did that we really, even though we said it was beyond racism, we were still doing equality work, not yes. equity. Work. We were still talking about sameness. And what we realized is that, you know, people need different things and people need the same things, but they may need them in different ways. And equity, you know, uh, financially, if, if I pay for a house for 30 years, I'd hope I'd have the title. But if I pay 30 and don't have the title, there's loss of equity there. But really today, I've defined equity as needs. And I think if you think about what you need and what I need, the words may be the same, but we may need them in different ways. And I think equity has really been the forefront that we've got to address, especially in this societal kind of, you know, justice environment, you've got to understand equity in a much more laser way than we have in the past. Hopefully that makes sense. That makes a ton of sense. And I, I'm going to uh, give you um, uh, a compliment. I, I think that you're right. This this started out diversity work as a result of affirmative action and, and evolved into uh, inclusion and equity. And I think you you were able to, you know, this is going back, what, 15, 20 years ago, I felt yeah. that we had a, a, a total DEI approach uh, to our work at, uh, at Food Lions. So, so I, I'm going to ask, uh, you talked about we have more work to do on the E, that kind of leads to my next question. Mm-hmm. So as a country, uh, hopefully, you know, uh, you've seen some progress over the last 20 plus years. If you were to look over the horizon, uh, whether it be our country or whether it be organizations, what is the work that is yet to be done? Well, uh, I would say a couple of things. You're right. 15, 20 years ago, I really think we were making great progress and things are going well. I think in the last five years, and I used to always regret having to say this and not, we've gone backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, on a societal level, there is just a greater zero sum game. If you got something, then I must be losing something. And I think that's where we still got work to do to really understand what might be called, what is unity? What is the path we're on to get to a better place and different paths coming from different backgrounds, but together going to the same uh, destination? And that's the challenge because I think what has become distorted is do we really want to go to the same place? And that's where organizations have a little better focus than society. Because in society, we may not agree that we want to go to the same place. But in an organization, we exist. And I'll be very honest. We organizations exist to make money and to be financially and successful. And if that's the destination we have to align with, is this the path that we're on? What's our vision? And how does DE&I help us get there? But I think we've made progress. I think it's just much more complex on a societal level today. And, you know, we talked about work life back then. I I was taught by uh, one of my mentors, Ted Childs, that balance may not be the right word. And I think today the word is integration. Life and work have integrated. COVID has taught us that you can't separate the two. So when we think about where we're going, our lives, personal lives are so impacted by society. You can't help but have that be part of the corporate work. So now we've got to be much more stringent and focus around, are we on the right path to have the organization be successful? And how does DEI help us get there? 
Now that makes that, that makes total sense, and uh, uh, I I I think that your sentiments uh, that we've actually slid backwards over the last five years is shared by uh, many others uh, for sure. So let me ask you this. Um, Joyce and I have been talking uh, about diversity over the last month, particularly mm -hmm. with Black History Month. And there was an op-ed in the New York Times that, that suggested that most diversity initiatives fall far short of the mark. And mm -hmm. their suggestion is that, that where it has worked the best, it's been in the areas, and it's a little bit like the affirmative action, making progress uh, in the people processes, uh, hiring uh, practices, uh, promotion practices uh, to make progress versus winning the hearts and minds of employees. So they're saying, leave the hearts and minds employee of employees aside because it's not working and work mm -hmm. on making progress where there is a lack of uh, equity or an inclusion. What do you think about that? Yeah, I... I um read that article. I think you may have sent it to me. And, and when I think about it, I think it's both and. Uh, if, you, if you think back to the work we did, I think we did all of those things and we won hearts and minds. Uh, I'll digress and tell you, I got a note a couple of years ago from a guy I could barely remember. He sent me a picture of his family. And he said, I just wanted to let you know that what you did for me, he was from Tennessee. Uh, worked in the group, one of our stores there, what you did for me changed my life and my family and how I see life. So I think the hearts and mind pieces piece has to be a part of it. Yeah, I, I don't think you can say that you don't want to do it. I think it's a part of it if you do the work the right way. The thing that I think that you mentioned around the article that's important, there's people systems, but we sometimes get stuck in people processes. So yeah. we just look at tiring then we don't look at development, then we don't look at succession. I think that system has to be part of it. Because when you just look at hiring and you bring people in and you don't grow them in development, then they don't grow. And then now your issue is there's nobody in leadership. Then yeah. succession, if your succession is not tied to, they're not ready. And, and so that's the disconnect. So I think we really have to look at, you know, the system, the people system, not just the people processes. And inside that people system, I think you and I would both agree. If you don't have the right hearts and mind and leadership, you're not going to make progress in any organization, not even diversity in anything. anything. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and you know something, I'm, I'm glad uh, to hear uh, that it's an and not a instead of or. Uh, and because if I think about the most impactful work um, that we did, you did, the organization did at Food Lion, it did shift the hearts and minds. Uh, some yeah. of the work that you did with leadership and with the executive committee, uh, those were heart and mind conversations that literally people left those uh, meetings or left that experience a lot different than they walked into it. So uh, I'm you. glad to hear yeah. your uh, comments in that regard. Okay. So you know, we're we're going to look uh, a little bit closer to uh, your work and what you've learned over the years. Uh, um, so if you think back to when you started, I mean, we've all made mistakes, right? In every yeah, job yeah, yeah, uh, and still yeah. are. If you go back and look at uh, earlier in your career, what are some mistakes that you have made along the way and what have you learned from them? 
Yeah. And, and Bob, this is so relevant because in the role I'm in now, I'm growing and learning a lot. One, the, the industry is very different. Yeah. But the thing that I continue to tell new practitioners and thing, I celebrated and probably got really excited too much around outcomes and not impact. So I would get excited about an outcome. And what we found is it's not sustainable. So now we're redoing work that we did in the past. And the classic example would be if we were to hire someone diverse, and that's a great outcome. So now we've got a diverse leader. But what's the impact of that success on their personal life, their professional life, their growth? What's the impact on the company? What's the impact on their family, their community? Those are the things that really create sustainability and they're feeling good about themselves. And you've always heard nobody wants to be, you know, a token, you know, I'm here just because I'm black. So the impact is all of those things, not just the outcome of, you know, we hired a woman or we hired a person, we hired an ex. And that's where I think I may have and, and, and you got a lot of recognition, a lot of awards for doing, getting outcomes. What I have been really focused on in the last five or 10 years and really in the organization today, let's not get stuck with it. What's the impact is that going to have on our business, on our people, and on our customers? And what's sustainable about that? So that, that's, that's the, the lesson learned that is really so entrenched in me when I think about the work. It's really the focus that I have. And I think at, at work, people say, I can't have a conversation without bringing up impact because I just think it has to be the destination. It can't just be outcomes. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, I, I was sharing with uh, Joyce uh, before we met our meeting uh, and said, you know, what I appreciate so much about the work that Eric did uh, at Food Lion and Deli's is Eric played the long game. Uh, and what you just described. So it, it is outcomes. That's what uh, business people like. They want to see numbers. Right. They want right. to see right. metrics that that validate that we're uh, making uh, progress. But you played the long game. It was about, you know, what is the impact that over time shifts the culture and shifts uh uh, you know, the transformation that needs to happen. So uh, that that's really great. Uh, and I'm just thinking, uh, new diversity practitioners, uh, uh, you're giving some really good uh, thoughts and ideas about uh, how we've evolved. So think back to the beginning. Are there yeah. interventions, and, and you can get as tactical as you like, are there mm -hmm. interventions that worked as good then as they do now, that they've stood that test of time. Yeah, and, and and either this is the seasoning that worked or didn't, but I still use <laughs> the same mindset around how you get started and how you do work. What stood the test of time is having leadership be willing to grow and do their own personal work. If leaders are going to be thought of, or they think, okay, now I'm the DE&I expert, or I'm not going to do it because I'm not a DE&I expert, then that's where I think you lose traction. You've got to have leaders that say, you know what? I'm willing to grow. This is a Bob Stapleton term. I don't know if you remember, you told me this and I still use it. Leaders have to lead and learn at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And the organization has to give them room to grow. 
that is still the sage work that has to happen, you know, and that is still the test of time. No matter what organization I go to, I'm working with leaders on how they grow. And, and if you think back to our CEO, you know, he mentored, he was a sponsor, he was visible, and he was always willing to grow. In fact, I talked to Dr. Janetta Cole, and I said, I called him a straight A student because he'd go to a conference with me to speak. And I'm, I'm not knocking any CEOs. He wouldn't speak and leave the state. He would stay for all three days at a diversity conference. Yeah, and everyone yeah. just thought, your CEO is still here. That was the commitment that he made to his own personal growth. And that's the piece that I think still, still is relevant is leaders being willing to grow and understanding sort of the three things that I think important. It has to have business relevance relative to financial success. It has to have people relevance relative to engage in healthy culture. And it has to have public image relevance to your customers and the community. So those things, no matter where I've worked, I think are things that in what industry you got to have in mind, leadership commitment, and then profitability, productivity, and public image. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna slide down. I uh, I have a, a question. Like there are potentially some CEOs uh, or soon to be CEOs listening today. Um, what would your advice be to them? Uh, you know, they they have this commitment. They want their organizations to be more successful and more inclusive. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, what what would be your advice to them? Uh, and and where might you suggest uh, a new CEO get started? So um, when we talk about commitment, I'll come back to uh, the CEO has to really look in the mirror and ask themselves three questions. Why is this work important to this business I run? Why is it important to my role as CEO? And why is it important to me as an individual? Mm -hmm. And they need to get some rigor to be able to communicate that because, Bob, I think we had a great CEO and I've worked for several good CEOs and you were a great boss. You know, when those things are sort of genuine and authentic, it's easy and people get it. Yeah. What I'm saying to CEOs today is commitment is a given. (laughs) But what I think we've got to move to is a CEO's got to think about conviction. Yeah. Now, the difference is commitment is words and action. Convictions is beliefs and actions. So today in the world, people are looking, do you really believe? Do you really believe it's good for the business? Do you really believe it's good to CEO? Do you really believe it as a person? That's the thing I think a CEO has got to think about. Their commitment's got to move to conviction because the young Gen Zs and, and millennials, they can read right through. When you're not, <laughs> not oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, that, and they'll call you on it too. <laughs> oh yeah, they got that connect the dots. Yeah. Uh, they see that, and you're you're outed immediately in that regards. <laughs> so I think that's what a CEO's got to do. And then a CEO or practitioner, there's a, again some five basic steps: that leadership commitment, and then the business case imperative articulation, then the the, the rigor that we talk about, which gets into OD, you've got to educate the organization and develop people. Yeah. You've got to understand the external environment and how that impacts your culture. 
And then you've got to understand the demographics in society, demographics in your organization, and then representation. So those five, leadership commitment, business case, education, environment, and demographics are the five things I would tell a CEO or any diversity practitioner that those are sort of the stripes you want to build to be successful. Yeah, well, we, we were saying a little bit earlier about uh, leading and learning. So it's, it's not so much that a CEO has to have that conviction but it's, it's the presence to see where they are and the work they need to do. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's looking uh, in the mirror and, and being, being genuine about, no, I'm not going to be the expert, but I'm yeah. here and I'm willing to learn because where well, you, you, you gave me that quote because it was about if everyone in front of the room is the smartest person in the room, then why do you need the rest of the room? That's right. <laughs> and I think that's where, you know, any leader doing this work has to be open and seen as someone that's willing to grow. In fact, I'd be totally transparent in the, in the job I'm in. And I joke with my CEO. I don't know if it's what he paid me to do, but I'm probably growing more than I ever have in this space right now. No, that's, that's great. So he, I'm going to kind of go back to something you said a little bit earlier about we have slid um, and and gone back in some ways over the last five years. You know, since the death of George Floyd, uh, mm-hmm. what's this article saying is corporations, organizations have really ramped up their investment in diversity training. Um, what, if anything, has changed? What have you seen? Well, not enough. Yeah. Being, for fear of being redundant. I think we had some outcomes that we needed. Don't know that we got sustainable impact. Mm. I'll be very complimentary of organizations. As you know, a lot of money was put forward, a lot of people guaranteed, but I don't know that people really changed systems, our hearts and minds, but we did put money. And, and one of the biggest opportunities that has always exists is that, you know, George Floyd happened. I say, you know, I need to do something different. I maybe leave with my wallet, but I do it for you without you. And then I miss the mark. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, gosh, I spent all that money and nothing's changed. And now organizations are cycling back and saying, you know, should we? How do? And I think one of the things we need to really slow down and understand what impact can you have as opposed to the outcome are giving money for some very good things, for scholarship programs. I think those are great things, but are they sustainable? Because, you know, when we think about what's changed, what we do have on a societal level, as I mentioned before, is a larger zero-sum game. People have sort of chosen to choose sides. And, and the whole George Floyd thing, just to get really personal, you know, my, my dad was in law enforcement. Yeah, I don't know if I see it. My daughter is in law enforcement. She's a federal agent, you know. That, that that conversation is not a subtle one. Yes. But at the end of the day, George Floyd raised the ire of us thinking about some things that we had not. One is equity. The other one was justice. And I think on a third level, on an individual basis, are we changing as individuals to collectively go to a place that's going to be better for everyone? And I think that's, that has gotten really distorted. It's it's my unfortunate aspect of something that moved this work forward in a lot of ways, accelerating things that hadn't moved. 
people are doing things that I don't think they ever would have done before. If you think about broader diversity, there's no way we'd have as many people able to work at home as we do today. We'd have never gotten here. They never got. So when you think about just inclusion, regardless of race and gender, we have leaders that would not have been able to have people work at home and think that they could get work done. So that's just that mindset has changed. But George Floyd made a difference in the, in the in the world, I think. It caused a lot of people, no matter where you are. I think that there's a lot more to do. And I think we got to get really laser focused around. We don't want to look back and say that happened and nothing has changed. And I think that's one of the risks we run right now with the George Floyd. Okay, so good. And, you know, I, I'd like to look at uh, speaking to specifically either uh, practitioners that are just starting out in DEI work or are thinking about going into that work. And uh, I'll give you some context. And I think okay. you may have answered this already, but I'll ask it. Okay. okay. You know, if I think about outcomes, that's more short term. Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. about in co- impact, it's more mm-hmm. kind of that tail really getting mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, enrolled mm-hmm. and, and uh, installed. So my question is, if I'm a new um, uh, diversity practitioner, and how do you bounce? You did a great job of balancing what I would call the short-term first steps, baby steps, next steps, and mm-hmm. also keeping kind of the long-term uh, balance in terms of changing the organization. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, how, how do you balance that? Uh, uh, because you may have a CEO or a president that says, you know what, I just want the number. I want the outcomes. Right. So right. How, how do you right. balance both of those as a newbie? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's a great question. And it, it's one that as I join the organization and think about, you know, past working now, there's a Warren Buffett quote that's not nouveau, but it's really relevant. The windshield is bigger than a rear view mirror for a reason. So <laughs> if your motivation is only driven by the past and not yeah. that you need to learn from the past, but the company has a vision that, that if you hook onto that, the near-term work needs to be driven by what the business needs today and to achieve its long-term vision. So, connect to where the business is going. And to your point about a leader who says, I just want to make my numbers, I'm okay with that. So let me, tell me how you're going to make your numbers. And my job is, let me tell you how DE&I is going to help you get better at making your numbers. But that's forward thinking, not saying, oh man, I didn't do something for X. I didn't do this or do that. So now I got to fix it. And I've always said, and I've said to everyone, I'm not a fix it person. I'm a (laughs) business person that I grew up in the business, I moved to DNI to help the business be better. So if you're thinking about where you're going, but doing the things that's in front that are in front of you to make the business work day to day, you're better going to achieve your long-term vision than just looking at, you know, what did we do wrong? And how do we fix those things we did wrong? Because, you know, a fixes mentality, uh, <laughs> I had a a leader once who told me that I come in the room and I tell him all these things that were going wrong and what we're going to do. And he said, Eric, Eric, you know, those are great things and we got to run to them. But if you come in the room and knock me down and then I got to get up off the ground and now you want me to run, let's just run. And we don't have to run to save. You don't have to knock me down. So if everything we do is about problem solving things that are bad, that's not a great place to be. No. You know, I, I do think it's tougher, but there's a happiness 
in doing this work, about, you know, being committed to it, performing well, laughing, enjoying people, doing things that make people feel good. You're only going to do that with a visionary motivated attitude, not a fix it mindset that something's broke and we got to fix it. So that, that, that's probably more than you want to say, but I think. No, the I, 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 I think that is spot on because if you're the fixer, it makes the assumption that, you know, they don't. Yes. Yes. They're yes, yes. broken. You're not. Absolutely. So I, I, I think that's great advice. Uh, what other advice would you have for someone who's just starting out in the business? Like, what are some of the things you want to make sure if you're advising them that they don't stub their toe or where they begin uh, their work? What What can you share around that? Well, well, one of the things that I think that is necessary, and clearly in the industry I'm in right now. There's much more need because of the digital age for analytics, you know, both qualitative and quantitative. Yeah. So you really have to have, and you know, I was fortunate enough in every organization that I'm hiring for it now, a, a deep analytic uh, person that has the ability to look at an data and create strategy. I think that's important because what has made it much more complex is that you know you can analyze data and numbers. But you and I have been in this space that we're measuring feelings is not as easy. No. And so that's the piece that I think you've got to get. And I think in this space we're getting better at is how do you take data, cultural data, behavioral data to determine how you get better as opposed to go back to my old analogy, say what's not working and what's broke. Because I, I think the true success is truly Culture change yeah. is truly the success of DEI for everyone. And I think if, if you're starting out, you, I don't know that you can can be successful without having sort of a data-driven approach because that's what people are going to ask for. And that's what's being seen more than anything else. But you've got to have both qualitative and quantitative data, not just not just the numbers. You've got to have the also the other side of that, the behavioral data. You know, I, I uh, to your point, I, I uh, in my consulting practice, HROD, um, I know that most of the CEOs that I've worked with, they don't like squishy data. And <laughs> I'll explain what that term is. You know, they like to get a sales report in the morning that says, here's what we did yesterday. Uh, they they want to get a financial statement at the end of the month that kind of gives them the report card of the organization's wellness and health and success. Yeah. So much of the work that we did in OD that you do in DEI, it's squishy. Yeah. You know, it's just not as uh, uh, out there. So that's that's great advice. Um, so he, here's um, and this maybe it hasn't changed, but this whole thing about the business case. I know when mm -hmm. I started working with you, a lot was about articulating or have the organization articulate the business case. Has the business case changed uh, with what's happening in the broader society? Talk, speak to that a little bit. Yeah, I, I do think you, you've got to come back to the term business case. Yeah. So whatever you're doing the work for, it is, again, back to the right thing to do and the smart thing to do. And there may not be that those are things are always even. It depends on the industry you're in, where your business is, but it is both of those things. Now, you and I know that we've always said, if it's the right thing to do and you're not doing the right thing, I'm probably in the wrong company. So <laughs> you, you, you want to hope 
that, you know, the right thing to do should be the price of entry. You got the right people. Yeah. But the business case, I think it's still there. You know, as I've mentioned to you, I'm in a different industry now. So it's much more complex in a regulated environment. But you need to understand day to day, what do people come to work to do? And how does that work help make them better and make the organization better? Then they're more engaged. If it's just something that seems esoteric, this is just nice to do, then some people are not going to engage, especially when you have people that are analytic, that are driven by data and numbers. They need to understand why am I doing this and what does it mean to where we're going? So that business case for sustainability, for impact is imperative to Mm. have it. It's just that you got to be able to rigor. One of, one of the things that uh, I've gotten from r- current research that I'm uh, deploying is, and, and we did some of this, is a by OU or a by function strategy. So rather than having a broader, everybody doing the same thing, what does HR need? What does IT need? What is the different fun- legal need? So that, the, so that they are closer to getting equity mm. by level by function and by location, because regardless of whether people are red, black, blue, or green, it's a different equity dynamic and a different business case for someone that's hourly working in the field at a different location than it is for me as a director working in human human resources in a corporate office. So that business case has to resonate with what I do every day not necessarily this thing that seems sort of pie in the sky and would be nice. And I think that's where the business cases change. It's got to be much more closer to the ground today than it was in the past. Yeah. So that's, that's really great advice uh, and insightful. I, uh, so I appreciate that. I, I'm so the question I have now is in, and I'll give you a plug. I, I thought, you did a great job in three dimensions and we haven't spoken to the third dimension. Mm -hmm. You literally could get into that day-to-day specific needs, not only of the organization, but like you said, different functions within the organization. You kept another foot firmly planted in impact. Mm -hmm. Um, where, Where are we going? How are we shifting the culture? Where are the transformations happening? But what you did also well was out in the community, and so my question is, looking at community, uh, you know, we were a very public and visible company being in the grocery industry, but for most organizations, is DEI work as much about looking beyond the four walls of the organization and, and looking at their communication or relations with stakeholders or customers? What do you think about that? Yeah, it's a great point. And, and there's two points there that I've grown to learn. So just think about the community as a whole. And I've worked, the company I work for now, Food Lion, great community partners, you know, not only spent money, but time. And I mean, volunteering and being out there, that gets to that whole point of if I want to do something for you, I need to be connected to you. Doing it at arm's length just creates risk. So, you know, when you're thinking about the community, you need to understand equitably, what do they need? Not just necessarily doing something. And I think that's where this work is so important, especially when you get to the, you know, underserved communities, regardless of how they're out, what their ethnicity may be, but just places and, and spaces that need something different. You can't do that without going there. You got to be there. You know, the, the true change in personal work is being in different places, doing different things with different people. And if those are your customers and that's the community, you got to go and be there. That, that's why 
what that the whole immersion thing, that cultural competence piece gets to, you know, I need to know myself, I need to know others, and I need to spend time in their space because, you know, experience, exposure, but immersion is going to get you more insight. So for business, and you want to be insightful about how you connect with those communities, you got to be in those communities. You got to have people in your organization from those communities. And then, you know, there's a whole supplier piece that I think uh, connects with, you know, minority businesses. And as you know, for five years, I ran the Minority Supplier Development Council for North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia. What I learned is it's good for an organization to say, I've got more minority vendors. I've spent more money with minority vendors. But where I think the work needs to go is what's the economic impact is Mm. that work? How is it creating jobs? How does it increase taxes, goods and services? Because the economic impact of a minority business in their community is much more sustainable and impactful from a generational wealth, a community impact standpoint than just saying, you know, I gave Bob a contract. Yeah. And then, you know, and then, you know, five years ago, well, Bob lost that contract. That, that cyclical process, to me, has not been as well served in changing communities as I think looking at that through an economic impact lens. So supplier economic impact, community work, being in the community and immersed in those communities. Hopefully that makes sense. No, and, and quite honestly, you just described much better than I did, literally, how, how much of your work was beyond the walls of the organization. So that that's great. So- I'm going to ask this question, um, and it's it's probably right on the edge of being DEI work. But if I look mm-hmm. at our country today and how mm-hmm. divisive we are and how extreme groups are not only becoming mainstream, but having a voice and shifting the government, how the heck uh, does an organization uh, play uh, in mm-hmm. in calling out or confronting, maybe it's the walkness, the Disney thing, being woke, um, mm-hmm. What what do you think about looking at what's happening at the broader society? Is there a role that companies have to play in uh, at least perhaps being a little bit of a headwind against it? Well, I, I do think you got to model inside what you expect to happen outside. I yeah. talked about work and life being integrated. And, and, and I go back to success in this work and, and the connection to OD is really around the culture. In the environment you have. And I'll go back to, you know, one of the godfathers, Roosevelt Thomas, when we first started, and he talked about race and gender. But Roosevelt has a model that is still relevant today, that the giraffe and the elephant house. <laughs> and so that house is built for giraffes being tall and slender. But you say in your corporation, you want others to come in and you invite an elephant. An elephant in a tall and slender house is going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. They're not going to be. And oh, by the way, you might even say to the elephant, lose some weight or get smaller so you can fit in. <laughs> well, right. at some point, that elephant is going to leave. So if you're thinking about what's going on outside, inside your organization, you got to have a culture that truly is going to embrace the diversity you say you want. And you know that externally there's a lot of distortion. You've got to have a culture that's going to flex and say, I've got a lot of different people, but it's not just for giraffes. It's for everyone. And that's where you got to start to think about how do you create that? And I'm a, a Lessioni fan. And I think there's five things that I, I do in diversity to say any organization that wants to be successful today has got to think about. Yeah. 
creating trust, managing conflict, having commitment, having accountability, and delivering results. Those are not my words. Those are Lesione's five dysfunctions of a team. Yeah. I hate to put it in the dysfunction because I think it's functions because <laughs> you and I both know when there's trust, there is so much of an easy way to get work done. So regardless of what you and I had going on outside of work, when we got together, and, and Bob, I'll just give you this compliment. You know, we sat at the executive table together and you were my boss. And I never sat in that room concerned about the hierarchy of you being my boss sitting at the same table. I don't know anyone else. Maybe somebody else did it. But I give Rick and you the uh, compliment of being able to create that space for me. Mm. But that required that there was trust, that we could manage conflict as it came with you being my boss, reporting to Rick, but sitting at the same table. The commitment that we had, not only just to DNI, but creating and building a company that was going to be successful, being accountable to each other. And then at the end of the day, we deliver results. So yeah. I, I think that's one of the things with all this going on outside. You got to have a culture that when people come inside, it's a place they want to be. And it's yeah. a place where they feel like they can do their good work. That's why psychological safety is so strong today, because there's so much that we finally realizing, you know, people show up and what you're asking them for is their head. Yes. But if you're treating them in a way that they're distracted. You're not getting good results. So, you know, that made me a little bit broader than the question you asked. But I think the external noise has to be distorted by an environment that causes you to feel healthy. Yeah, I'll tell you, this this has been such an enjoyable conversation for me because I learned so much from you uh, in the time that we work together. And just listening to your thoughts and your views uh, takes me back to uh, uh, those times. And not only was the work serious and we were committed, but we had fun. Yes. Uh, and I don't know where that plays into it, but we enjoy uh, the work. And uh um, and I guess it's one of those sayings, you know, take the work seriously, but don't take yourself seriously. So yeah. I'm going to end, I'll, I'll leave it open to you uh, after this, but if you look at your career, mm -hmm. so work, what are you most proud of? Well, you know, it's interesting because um, what I'm most proud of, and it was times when we were working together, um, and people sometimes get surprised when I say it. It was a pro-patriot award that Foodline received for working with the military. Yeah. Going to the Capitol, getting that award, knowing that it drove business success. It helped the military, one of the most diverse constituencies in our society. Men, women, different races, culture, different nationalities. That was probably one of the best experiences I had. And something, you know, when I think about the number of things, that just always comes to the top because, you know, I grew to understand it. Uh, I grew to understand the culture in that space and it had a global component to it. So it, it was probably one of the things that whenever I get asked that question, it comes to mind right away. Yeah. Thanks for taking me back there. That was a very special award and recognition. So I'm going to end our conversation like I do when I'm doing a, a job interview and, yeah. you know, I did my best to ask all the right questions so that you could shine through. Is there anything that you'd like to say before we sign off, uh, given our audience and our conversation today? Well, I'm probably going to 
in with what I started with. Um, if I had to do something differently, I'd focus on impact versus just outcomes. I think that is, you know, principle to the success of our work today. Um, and the last thing, and you just touched on it about, you know, laughing and having fun. And, and the thing I would say, you know, when we work together and you'll remember, I think I used this Valvano quote back then that, uh, a day where you think, laugh, and maybe move to tears is a full day. Yeah. And we did a lot of that. And I think uh, I want to thank you for the work that we did back then, the impact you've had on me. Uh, you always, regardless of how we were different, and we met each other in sort of the mid of our career, we'd been around a long time. And even though we were different, our differences didn't matter. And I think that was really the key. And I, and I think we cared about each other's success. So the, the only thing that, you know, I would sort of close with is just sort of thinking about, you know, if, if today we can still, you know, think of Valvano, still learn and grow and think, laugh and have some fun with what we're doing. And if during that day, sometimes you get emotional and your uh, emotional intelligence drives you or moves you to tears, it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay i i appreciate I'll, I'll tell you i appreciate i know you're busy i know you're one day back from a no. vacation i really appreciate you taking the time and uh, meeting with our audience today uh and i look forward to i mean it's been a long time right eric we do our yeah. day yeah. uh, uh greetings but uh it was great spending some time with you absolutely it, it's been my pleasure uh, brings back a lot of very, very fond and good memories. And I just appreciate the opportunity to catch up and you're asking me to have this conversation. Thank you, Bob. Okay. Thanks a lot. Joyce reached out to Eric and I after today's uh, podcast recording and felt so bad for missing uh, the episode. But the bottom line is it wasn't her fault. There were issues of connectivity. There was issues of timing. And uh, to be honest with you, I should have called her up uh, because this is a woman who, uh, in the worst of times, uh, the illness of her husband, his death, has never failed to miss one week of this podcast. So Joyce, uh, you know, I can't think of a better partner. And Eric has actually offered to come back for a short segment so that you get a chance to ask him some questions. So thanks everyone for showing up. And until the next time, be well and be safe.